As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, gang, NFL draft season is upon us, and it's possible you might not be totally prepared for the evaluation process. That's why we partnered with our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on football. So for all of us in the IFP family, we have an exclusive 20% off promo code for you today at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code POLIAN, P-O-L-I-A-N, at manscaped.com. I have said it for weeks. I am absolutely enamored with the Lawnmower 3.0. No nicks, no cuts. Everything is fully prepared, and I am ready to go through the evaluation process. They've got literally everything you need from ear and nose trimmers to the crop preserver to the crop reviver. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to manscaped.com today to get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code POLIAN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code POLIAN, P O. O-L-I-A-N at manscaped.com. What is up, guys? We are jacked about today's episode of the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling. In today's episode, we get the rare opportunity to go one-on-one with Bill and go through all of the quarterbacks in this draft. We go all the way from Trevor Lawrence through Sam Ellinger. We look at every quarterback, the positives, the negatives, who Bill sees as comps in the league currently, what he thinks these guys will turn into as NFL prospects. You know, what are you looking at when you look at the quarterbacks in this draft? It is truly a unique window in terms of how a GM actually processes all the information. And this is obviously a super complicated year with everything in the evaluation process being skewed because of COVID. This is a really neat opportunity to hear from one of the greatest minds in the history of the NFL, how he perceives these quarterbacks. But before we do that, we want to take a minute to talk about one of our favorite sponsors for the show that's bet online bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action and one of the coolest things about this weekend is the masters is finally here and it's here in the spring no fall masters this year so get ready bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds it's the best place to place all your bets and it's free to sign up so head over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So what are you waiting for? If you like golf and you want some Masters action, this is the place to be. So get ready, guys. We're going to dive into the quarterbacks today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and this is our look at the quarterbacks in 2021. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, what is happening, guys? We don't have him today. We're missing Michael, so yet again, I'm pushing the red light, and we are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. And you thought we were excited last week, gang, and we love the feedback. We are jacked about today. Rare opportunity to get the perspective of a Hall of Fame general manager's insight on an NFL draft class at the quarterback position. I'm pretty jacked. Are you guys jacked? Jack, New Jack City. <laughs> Rick not dating himself at all. <laughs> Jacked all right. up, as uh, as my buddy Tommy Jackson used to say. There you are. Well, all right. Well, let's do it. Let's, uh, Rick. Why don't you open and temper my excitement a little bit? I think you're going to put some things into perspective. Uh, I hope so, Bill. Listen, you know the apparatchiks of the draft industrial complex would have us believe that we're back in 1983. And this is Elway, Marino, Kelly, and O'Brien waiting to dazzle the NFL. Bill, give us a reality check. Uh, well, the reality check is that with the exception of that class, um, every first-round class since then is a basically 50% failure rate. The only question you, you, you don't know is who's going to fail. Um, that's number one. Number two, we've had incredible grade inflation, if you will, on quarterbacks because people now realize that without a great quarterback, you can't win big, you can't win the big one. And, um, and so the only way to get a great quarterback is to get him in the first or second rounds. Uh, and even the second round is iffy. So now what people have done is they've said, okay, we'll take a chance on the first round on a quarterback that at least looks out like he might he, he might be uh, one that could could take us where we need to go. Might be and chance are the are the, are the operative words. Um, th- there are no guarantees. Number one in the draft, and number two, less so with quarterbacks. Number three, far less so with quarterbacks who've not played a lot. And all the quarterbacks we've been talking about basically for the last four years are the equivalent of one and dones in the NBA. Um, the in the NBA they take one and dones early based entirely on potential and and body type, uh, not on production. Uh, I I can't recall where Seth was taken. I think uh, uh, seven seventh. Uh, you know it, it just. It makes no sense at all, but that's the world we live in. Much of it is driven by media and and by the draft industrial complex, people who make a living predicting incorrectly who's going to be good and who's not going to be good in the draft. All they're doing is rating college players based on what they hear from scouts. Very few of them watch tape. Um, even those that do really don't know what they're watching because you, you, you simply can't look at tape and grade guys one to 336 and be right. It's impossible to do it. And, uh, and so you end up with a mishmash, owners, cap people, marketing people getting in the mix now. Uh, that, that usually starts around March 1. They want to know who's on the board. What does this guy mean to us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, phrases like franchise quarterback and, and, and uh, 
what's the one this year? Generational talent being yeah. thrown around. <laughs> exactly. Absolute nonsense. Um, you know, nonsensical to the point of, of hilarity. I mean, you have to laugh at it. Uh, lectures on the on on the internet from people who've never been in a facility about how the draft is really a crapshoot. Wow. Is that right? I never knew that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was in draft rooms for 35 years, and, and, and I never knew that. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's gotten to the point where it has become the circus that it is on television. And, and I will, I'll share this story with you. When I first went to work for ESPN, they said, we're going to put you at the draft, and you're going to be in, in the building, the Radio City Music Hall. So I was, and they, they put me up in the balcony with, uh, with uh, uh, Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter. And, and I was hooked up, literally tethered to a chair, surrounded <laughs> by, by, by fans, yeah. and was expected to opine on the draft. Fans who were eating, drinking beer, smoking, <laughs> uh, you know, cheering, yelling, carrying on, asking me questions. Uh, arguing with picks, and I, I finally said to the producer, I, I, "I need to take a break. I'm I'm suffering from, you know, some form of anxiety here. I've been in draft rooms, and when I've run them for 25 years, they've been absolutely quiet. No one talks above a, a conversational tone. There's not a lot of chatter. It's all business. It's what you've prepared for all year." And they dropped me into this circus where there was a guy on the stage giving away things, introducing people. Stand up and take a bow, Joe Bifsick, former director of Chevrolet. You know, my God, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I hate to use the term PS, you know, be, because it's it's not respectful to soldiers. But but the fact of the matter is, it it was it, it was as though they put me on the moon. Oh, yeah. Very crowded moon. My view of that has been is jaundiced because I think it's so foolish. And it was capped off in Chicago by blocking off Michigan Avenue during rush hour. So these guys who had never set foot on an NFL football field and 60 percent of whom were going to fail and fail miserably and cost their teams huge amounts of money, could parade on the red carpet in $2,000 suits. You know, we, we've gone around the bend, honestly. I, you know, Rick knows how much of an NFL guy I am. I mean, I wear the shield night, noon, and morning, and, and everything I have in the world I owe to the NFL, but we've gone around the bend with this. This is, this is just, it, it's an absurdity. So within that absurdity, I'll try to bring you some semblance of, of what really goes on and how people grade players. Hey, well, that's what we do on this show. All right, two more quick ground rule questions before we kind of get into the individual evaluations of the players. In, outside of Lawrence, would this be a year as a GM you'd be really hesitant to invest in the quarterback position because of the COVID season and the lack of a normal offseason process? No, no. It, it, it is not ideal uh, and, and we and we have become used to the ideal because even with the television show that the combine has become, we, we still have the ability to get accurate numbers uh, down to 
the smallest decimal point. Uh, we, we get the ability to interview players. We get the ability to test them. Uh, we get the ability to psychologically test them. Uh, we had the ability to bring them into our facilities, especially quarterbacks, spend an entire day with them, put them on the chalkboard, have them review tape. All of that kind of thing is not available to us. The numbers that, that we see bandied about may or may not be correct. Uh, you know, we, we, I'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the numbers. If you hit the benchmark, it's kind of okay. I mean, I wouldn't worry about it. But I would be terrified to, in a normal circumstance, to draft a quarterback without a psychological profile, without an interview in the facility, uh, without a private workout where we could, we could make them do things that we do, not what their agent wants them wants us to see. Um, and so in one sense, this is the agent's perfect scenario. The agent wants to have you draft the player with as little information as possible because then he can create all the hype around the player. And all you hear is generational talent, this, that, all the, all the nonsense that's out there, right? That, that's the world we're in right now. So what do you do? You go back to the old days when I started. You do it by what you've, what you've seen up close and personal as a scout. There wasn't much of that this fall. There's some of it this spring. And you do it by tape. And so the really good talent evaluators will do well, as they always do. The poor ones won't. It's that simple. It's back to the future, but... It's what you have to do, and we've done it before. So, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of old, a lot of probably 90 percent of the people in the business now, as scouts and personnel directors, don't go back to the '80s when we when we had to do it all by tape. Right. But, but uh, uh, you know, there are people that do, and every once in a while they call up old timers like me and say, "What would you? What was? What'd you do then? What did you do?" If you when you didn't have this and you didn't have that, um, at once upon a time there was no combine. By the way, yeah, right, right. And, <laughs> so and, and tape was film, <laughs> and tape was film. That's right. And you carried the projector with you on the road, uh, but they'll they'll get it done. And 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 the good organizations will draft well, and the poor ones won't. So one one other uh, relatively late breaking event. Um, Bill, how does the Darnold trade uh, affect things? I, you know, in closing up people that, you know, need the quarterback and are willing to, could we see one or two guys who would have been in the top 10 in this inflated way drop out? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the last guy that predicts because I don't have access to the information I had when I was a GM. When I had access to that information, then, then I could predict very accurately via mathematical formula where certain guys would go. I don't have that information. Now, no one else does either who's not in a draft room. Right. So all these predictions are nothing more than talk. Let me, I'll talk to this guy over here and that guy over there and that guy over there, and we'll see if we can get a consensus, and that's where I'll put the guy. But the, and, and then you go on based on needs, you know, people who draft on need. But I think... New England's still in the quarterback business, so keep an eye on them. Uh, you know, whether Atlanta will be in the quarterback business or not, I don't know. If they're not, it's a possibility somebody could move up to that slot. Uh, it wasn't going to be Carolina, obviously, uh, in their division. And uh, and beyond that, 
I, I couldn't even begin to take a hazard a guess. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. General questions out of the way. Let's dive into the guys, Bill, or where are we starting? Well, let's start with Mr. Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Um, he is, uh, bear with me. I'm going to ha- have to excuse myself because I'm working off an iPad here and I'm not the most, uh, the, the most adept at it. Hey, well, the audience should know you've gotten much better at technology. Yeah, <laughs> so let's in a public forum so that maybe relatives and other people hearing this could go, Bill's gotten pretty good at some tech stuff. <laughs> They'll be in shock. Yeah, the grandchildren will be very proud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 6'6", 213, uh, you know, really, really good arm, can make every throw. Uh, long guy, obviously. A uh, little bit taller than what the outside number is, but I don't think that's a that's a hindrance. Um, his completion percentage uh, this season was sixty seven point nine percent, which is the highest it's been in his career. Uh, let me just interject here. I forgot to say this. We used to, in the good old days, follow the Bill Parcells axiom: a quarterback had to have thirty starts at the college level. He had to have a 70% winning percentage, and he had to be a guy whose leadership skills were off the charts, okay? I think Trevor may be the only person in this year's quarterback class who meets that criteria. Uh, Just the baseline, 30 starts. So um, he he does have that, obviously. He's been in the championship game quite a bit. Uh, His interceptions to TDs this year was 24-5. and This was not a stellar receiving group uh, for Clemson. Um, last year with a better group, it was 36 and eight. And then as a sophomore, it was 30 and four. So he's accurate. He takes care of the football. Um, he's a much better runner than people know. And he's going to have to be careful because he's a big target not to, not to go wandering off into space from time to time, thinking he can outrun linebackers at, at, at the NFL level like he can at the college level. He's very, he's sneaky fast. I don't know what his time is, but he is sneaky fast. He can run. Um, He's got great poise. He's got great command. Uh, He's a clutch player. He's been in the championship game or in the championship tournament every year of his career, winning a national championship. Um, He didn't play terribly well up to his standards against Alabama this year, but he didn't have a, a great class with him. And this is a, is a great Alabama team. Uh, but, the, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, he's, a, he's about as good a prospect as there is. He will have a breaking period. They all do. It takes three years for them to really feel comfortable and really be able to um, key and diagnose and operate the offense and recognize defenses and make the proper decisions. But I I always used to ask our scouts, if this guy fails, tell me why he'll fail. And I'm hard-pressed to find something that tells me that it's possible he will fail. Uh, obviously, they all have to make the jump, but he's he's I think he's as good a, a prospect as any uh, that I've seen in a while. So... Um, you know, I like him better than a lot of guys that have come out. Uh, he's not quite as agile and not quite as um, intuitive 
and uh, and artistic as Patrick is, but the skill level and the arm and you know, they're pretty comparable. Um, so you know, great prospect. Rick, do you have a list of, of how we're gonna we're gonna go here? Yes. Yeah. So hey, Bill, real real quick before we jump into the next one, which will be Fields. So in terms of that jump we talked about, because I think fans probably have a sense that he's gonna be good right away. I mean. Nobody's good right away. Right. So how concerned would you be with him in that offense that he played in in college where it's a lot of screens, a lot of eye candy, how that translates into like Daryl Bevel's offense in the NFL? Oh, it's going to be a it's going to be a huge jump for him. It's going to be a huge jump for him. And don't forget, he's going to be playing in front of an offensive line that at best is going to be revamped. At worst, it nearly killed Sam Darnold. So, you know, that that's a that's. When you're in the number one pick in the draft, the likelihood is you're not going to a good team and you're, and you're going to struggle. He's bereft of receiving talent. Hopefully they add some in this draft. He's bereft of a, of a solid, you know, running back. Uh, this is not a good football team that he's going to. So he's going to struggle. And, uh, and he's, going to, he's going to take an earful from the New York press and the fans and, you know, all of that. But they all struggle. I mean, Peyton, Peyton still holds the record for interceptions by a rookie. So, Well, I think the New York fans would hope that he would. I think the Jacksonville fans. I, I, I apologize. Jacksonville. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I had Donald on the mind there. The Jets uh, screwed that up by winning a little too much. Yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, Jacksonville, same. You know, now the fans will be gentler to him uh, because – as someone once said said to me recently, Jacksonville Jaguars are really an afterthought. Uh, they're not. He he may change that some, especially because he's from the South, and Jacksonville's a SEC Southern college football town above all. Um, so uh, you know he'll he'll get a good reception there, but um, but it'll be a struggle. So Bill, just along those lines. When, and and I understand you you know that the receiving talent fell off a little bit in this last year, but generally throughout his whole college career, you know he was surrounded by extraordinary talent that was overwhelmingly better than the opponent. That that therefore must be a really tough transition when you go from that situation to the team that drafts number one and is a, it is basically a lousy team. I mean that that must be the most difficult transition of all in a situation like this. Well, it's difficult because you're coming to a league where people are better. Everybody's better than you. So start there. But I dare say that Jacksonville has one or two players uh, on their team that are better than anybody at Clemson. Right. You know, true. Don't make the don't fall into that trap that college football is only a small jump to the end. That Alabama could beat the last five teams in the NFL. No way absolutely no way i was saying the his supporting cast relative to the people he was playing they were much better now they're not but quite obviously nfl level college level have nothing to do with one another so. right exactly it's a, most fans and, and you're voicing fans most fans believe that the jump from college to the nba is much bigger than the jump from college to the NFL. Why? Because of the hype. The, the, the answer is the opposite. It's much easier, even as a one and done, to come into the NBA than it is to come into the NFL and, and do well. Why? 
because it's a physical game. The NBA is physical, but it's not a collision game the way the NFL is. Right. And then so just to summarize, highest probably floor of any of the quarterbacks, does he also have, in your opinion, the highest ceiling of any of these I don't believe in floor and ceiling. Uh, To me, it's just a phrase. Uh, The guy is good enough to lead you to the promised land. He's good enough to be, he's good enough to be, I'm talking about any guy, is good enough to be a uh, winning quarterback in the NFL, or he is not. There's no in-between. And the amount of improvement that goes on in the NFL is only marginal. It's around the margins. Peyton learns how not to throw 28 interceptions, right? That's because he, he, he understands what he's playing against. He understands the coverage, etc. I don't want to get, in, get into all those issues. But he doesn't become a new person. He doesn't get a new body. His athletic ability doesn't improve markedly in the NFL. It only improves around the margins. So when you say, what's his floor? His floor is he can't make a team. What's his ceiling? You know, I don't know what his ceiling is. All I know is the ceiling that I want is the place where I hang the banner that says world champions. (laughs) Right, exactly. Can he get us there? Yeah, can he get us to that ceiling? Okay, we got Justin Fields up next, Bill. Um, Justin Fields is an interesting guy in the sense that – he came in with a lot of hype, uh, and he, he, he does have uh, really good physical skills. His arm is excellent. His uh, release is pretty good. He's got really uh, very good running skills. Uh, he's tough as can be. Um, I really like the toughness. Apparently, uh, if you listen to the people at Ohio State, his leadership skills are, are very, very good. Um, he, his processing is what worries me. Two things about him worry me. His processing speed, because I saw it uh, up close and personal against Indiana and against Northwestern in the championship game. Um, his blitz recognition, which is all part of processing speed, is not what it should be. It wasn't against Indiana, and and it wasn't against Northwestern, two teams that were really good. And on the move, when discombobulated by the rush, his accuracy decreases pretty markedly. So what you have here is a guy with all the physical skills, apparently the work ethic and all of that kind of thing, uh, who who can run... And, and beat you with his feet in the running game and is big enough and tough enough to take a pounding, albeit you remember in the championship game he got hurt. To his credit, he played hurt. Oh, yeah. But he got blasted by an Alabama linebacker, and the rest of the night was a, was a struggle for him. But I worry about the Indiana game and the Northwestern game because it told me that facing blitzes and facing pressure, he wasn't getting it out like that. Boom, 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 boom. That it that can be a fatal flaw. So if if I asked you the question or somebody asked me the question and said if he fails, why will he fail? I think it's it's because he won't be able to process 
fast enough under extreme pressure. Can that change? Yes, you can develop that. Uh, and, and, and the more you play and the more you practice and the more you understand what you're doing, the faster you get. Would I expect them to come in and star right away? No. Not, not that I expect any of these guys to do that, but but he would be he, – He's. I think he's going to have some difficulty at the outset. Hey, hey, Bill, in terms of the processing thing, how much of that could be uh, the just the scheme that Ryan Day is running and what they try to do under pressure – or how much of that's the player? Is there is there anything that with his process, this idea, the the concept that he is a slow processor, could any of that be related to the scheme and maybe him being a little mechanical? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in either you do or you don't. You know, if you know the system, whatever it is, then you process within that system. If you're capable of, of handling it mentally and physically, then you ought to be able to process within it. And if you don't, that's a problem. I saw a statistic today that astounded me. In Coach Gase's offense, Sam Donald was in the 47, 48% uh, range in terms of QBR, 47, you know, 48 QBR. So was Tannehill in Miami. Right. So that <laughs> speaks to your that speaks to your question: Is the system too complex for anybody to grasp? Because we know Tannehill has gone on and done well in, in Tennessee. Um, that's another question, but I don't think particular systems um, are any easier or any less important. Than any other. If you can process, you can process. The pure the the, the pure air raid um, is difficult, and and that's not what Ohio State uses. But the pure air raid is difficult to translate to the NFL because so much of it is 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 based on seeing guys open rather than throwing them open. Mm-hmm. But that's mechanical. It's it's it really isn't processing. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Bill, let me ask you, uh, and there are a few other, a couple other guys that are in this situation, and we've talked about this in the past. Um, Justin was a legit baseball prospect at, at shortstop and second base. Uh, talk about what the, the, uh, the crossover appeal of a guy who's played baseball, what you can learn there that applies, especially at a, say at a quarterback position. Well, I mean, you just said it. If he was a pitcher and a, and a, and a, and a shortstop, those are the two positions, you know, where do the best athletes go? Center field and shortstop. So that's what your eyes tell you. He's a great athlete. Uh, I don't have any numbers on him in terms of, of what he did in any of the, any of the various tests, but uh, uh, I'm sure he's an outstanding athlete. My eyes tell me that. So I don't have any worries along those lines. And so your, your opinion would be probably the best thing for him and probably for a lot of these guys would be to not be in a situation where he's got to play right away. So maybe if he does slide on draft day, you know, even as far down as new England, which maybe could happen, that, that would be ideal for him as a player. Oh, absolutely. Look, let me remind everybody that's listening. And we'll give Rick a quiz question. What quarterback sat for his entire first year? I'm trying to think of one. Uh, Oh, would you say 
Uh, oh, I know who you're thinking of now. Eh, I I lost my time. Yeah, okay. Aaron Rodgers sat for his well, whole first year, but that wasn't. That's not who he's thinking. Well, of. I'll give you another one. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yep. Okay. Let me give you a third. Tom Brady. Yeah, I I thought you were gonna you were giving me that to go go deeper into the recesses of the NFL. That that's that's the answer to your question. Yes, it's always better for them to sit, and history proves it. Very cool. I, in fact, I was going to say Johnny Unitas behind George Shaw. Well, well, brief. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah, but that's ancient history. That's ancient history. Okay, right. who's our next contestant? Right. Stepping up is Mr. Zach Wilson. Come on down. Here we go. <laughs> Not to his mission, but to the NFL. Oh, yes, yeah. Has he been on a mission? See, that's, that's, the, that's the stuff that I really miss knowing. Yeah. That'd be the first question I'd ask. Has he been on a mission? That would be mine. We'd yeah. know from his, we'd know from his uh, birth date, so let's see. Uh, not that it matters at quarterback, but it does at other positions. Uh, let's see. Where is his birth date here? I can't find it among all this nonsense that uh, <laughs> appears on my screen. Scott, work your magic, Scott. Zach Wilson's birthday is August 3rd, 1999. He's 21 years old. Okay, so he has probably not been on a mission. Um, he's, his height is 6 feet 2. This is supposedly on his pro day. They're listing his weight as a 214. Uh, that's not his real weight. Um, I was told that it's, it's less than that. But let me just add this caveat. Agents frequently tell their players to beef up uh, for the combine, or in this case, the pro day, and uh, so that their weight is higher, that they, so they, they think they're fooling us. And then when they come to camp, they're 10 pounds lighter or 15 pounds lighter, and, and, and the agents think that we're somehow sitting there going, my God, did this kid have dysentery? What happened? <laughs> right. uh, you know, we know that they, that they fatten them up for... For, for the weights and measures. Uh, so um, hand is nine and a half. That's fine. That, 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 that's the number you'd want at nine and a half or better. Um, so this is a guy with an exceptionally quick delivery. I think his processing speed is really good. Uh, his movement in the pocket is really good. Um, his arm is average. I think he's got some um, some concerns on deep accuracy. Um, nothing that would would rule him out, but it, it's not Lawrence-like, if you will. And um, and he's got a, a very nice release. Um, now he hasn't had to play uh, against really top competition, and. If I'm not mistaken, they actually lost to Coastal Carolina in a kind of a... Yes, they did. What we used to call in my day back in the Bronx, a Sheboygan game, <laughs> meaning uh, <laughs> meaning you made it up on the fly. Hey, you want to go play? Yeah, I'll see you next week at the, uh, right. <laughs> at the field. Uh, so that's understandable because they probably didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of preparation time. Um, his numbers... Are uh, are are pretty good. Um, 
in terms of uh, completion percentage and that kind of thing. Let me see if I can get here. It is uh, his completion percentage uh, this year was seventy two point seven. Uh, in nineteen, it was sixty one point six. In eighteen, in a brief appearance, it was sixty five point two. This year, he threw for over thirty six hundred yards, uh, eleven yards per attempt, which is a big. That's an important number. It tells you that he was really kind of an intermediate range passer, which your eyes tell you as well. But that's that's where the number comes out. So uh, I think he's I think he's uh, he's a guy who can to use a phrase which I don't understand, but is in the in vogue off platform thrower. Mm hmm. I didn't realize that Peyton played on a platform all those years. <laughs> I thought he played on his feet. But, That's the uh, rumor. Uh, uh, you know, you learn something new every day. Uh, and, 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 of course, uh, he's not with that body, let's assume, let's call him 210 and be generous. Uh, he, he can, he's not going to make a living with his feet. And you're going to worry about him a little bit. I think both his weight and his height are pink numbers, if not red, pink. So, uh, uh, you know, he, he's getting all the hype now. Uh, but there are some things that you say, okay, you know, I like him. Uh, where would he go in a normal draft in the good old days? Probably somewhere in the in the, between 18 and 24, I would think. But nowadays, of course, up at the top. Now, he has played, I think, based on, I'm extrapolating based on numbers here, attempts, he's played roughly 20 games. So he does not meet the Parcells threshold. And Fields does not meet the Parcells right. threshold the, either. So to throw out another in vogue expression, sample size, it, right, is not sufficient in this case at all. He really only had one year of high productivity at that level, I mean. Yeah, well, it, it, the, other, this, the, the junior year wasn't bad. 61.6, 2,300 yards, 7.4 YPA. That's not, that's not terrible. You know, it's okay. But he was not a prospect, obviously, coming into this year. Most people had him in the, in, in, you know, third day guy, fourth round, fifth round guy. So, but that's all right. You know, people can rise. Who's, who's our next contestant, Johnny? Hey, hey, real quick. One more <laughs> thing on Zach Wilson. How worried – it seemed to me like in a lot of games, especially that Houston game, he threw a number of jump balls than the NFL would be pick sixes. Would that worry you? Yeah, it does. Okay. That's why I said his deep accuracy is a concern to me. Yeah. Because, you know, if 50-50 balls are three-pointers that only your guy can rebound. Right. You know, you got to be accurate with it. If yep. you throw it off target, it's not a 50-50 ball. No, it's a 30-70 ball. Yes. So that, yeah, that's why I said his DP accuracy is, is not, I'm not thrilled with it. And, of course, with all of these guys, unless otherwise noted, we don't know what the intangibles are. We don't right. know what the psychological tests are. We don't know what the scouting reports are. You know, we don't know what the Wanderlick even is. Yeah. So that that's... It, it's all worrisome, but, you know, it is what it is. All right. We, we, we move on to Trey Lance. 
Very small sample size. Very small. Very small sample size. <laughs> uh, well, what would you say? One pass in 2018, 15 passes in 2020. So 2019 is it. Well, no. 15 completions, 30 attempts all in right, 2020. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. But that is hardly... Anything. I think in the Parcells axiom, 30 passes is not quite the same as 30 games. It's no. not. It's not. So so we got one year. We got one year we're looking at. Um, you, you know, I really, I don't want to knock the kid. I really don't because I think it's unfair to do so because we live in a different world. But so this is not a knock, but he is a true NBA one and done. Who do you want to compare him to? I, you know. I don't follow the NBA closely enough to have somebody to compare him to, but he's a true one and done because that's literally what he's played one season. Now, here's another thing that I really, really worry about. Guys that laid out this whole year, not that they shouldn't have. COVID was a terrible thing. I'm, I'm talking here just about what the future holds. The fact that they laid out at a time when they are still developing as players and as human beings is going to set them back. People are out there assuming, talking on television and writing and blogging and doing all the other things the, the bloviators do in the, in the draft industrial complex, assuming that a guy who laid out for a year is going to come back and be as good as a guy that played. Not likely. In my experience, not likely. So... He played only one game this year and then went to work out, which doesn't count. And, and you know, that, that's a worry in terms of coming in from a lower level, uh, very small uh, sample size, if you will. Uh, so you, you want to take this guy in the top three in the draft? This is Mitchell Trubisky without the level of competition. He didn't play against Stanford in the Sun Bowl. He didn't play against Clemson. And Trubisky had 200, 250 more attempts in college than Trey Lance Yes, did. he did. Yep. Yep. Yes, he did, even though yep. many of them were at garbage time. But the, the, the fact of the matter is he only played 13 games in his career yep. for all intents and purposes. I mean, you know, okay, so for those games, I mean, he, he almost lit it up unbelievably. I think his... QBR rating was a 130 and 3,000 yards and 28 picks, 28 TDs and no picks. But it's FCS. It's one year. We know he's built like a linebacker. We know he's got a strong arm. But, man, it just built. This is risky to me. Yeah, it's risky. It is risky. This is, you know, you might hit, but you might fail, too. Now, he does have the benefit of playing in a good program where he's well-coached. And, and they, they, they did turn out, you know, his previous buddy who happened to win a, uh, an FCS national championship. But the bottom line is that he's, a, he's, he's got two things going against him. The first is very little experience. Three, actually. Very little experience at a high level. And three, a style of play where he kind of relies on those legs to make things happen. Not that he doesn't have uh, talent. He does. But he's not real accurate. And he relies on his legs to make plays at a lower level. You cannot make a living in the NFL 
relying on your legs. And if somebody's out there in the peanut gallery ready to holler Josh Allen at me, <laughs> Josh Allen was this far away from maybe ending his career by being reckless running. And myself and probably 50 other football people, including his coach, told him, you better learn how to, how, how to play within the confines of the line of scrimmage and be very, very careful when you run the football. This guy didn't even play at a level as high as Josh Allen. Mountain West is a lot better football than, than this. So you're, you're correct, Rick. It's risky. Would I take him in the top four? No. And, and if I'm sitting in a draft room, I have to tell you, honestly, the Trubisky thing scares the living daylights out of me. I would say to our staff, tell me why he's not going to be Trubisky. Convince me why he's not going to be Trubisky. Exactly. You know, I don't know how you can. I, yeah, exactly. I don't know what the answers are to that. So for, for all intents and purposes, is he, for for you, for how you approach football, is he a prospect that would be undraftable even in the first or second oh, round? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, not at all. This is a guy that you would think about drafting from 25 on down. And people would think about coming up for him, just like they did Baltimore's guy. Baltimore came up for him. Most people had him as a second rounder because he made his living with his feet. And Baltimore came up for him, and 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 he, and he did succeed. Uh, to you know, listen, he succeeded in the NFL. Forget about whether he won a Super Bowl or not. He's a good starting quarterback on a winning team, so that's a success. This young man could be the same way, but are you willing to take that gamble? This is a, you're talking about a premium pick, obviously, that has to be used on him, apparently, if you listen to what the gurus are saying. So I'd be a little bit wary of that. I do think he definitely has a chance to make it, very definitely has a chance to make it. I wish I knew more about the intangibles, but we don't. But I, there's no question he has a chance to make it. But is it risky? Yes, it is risky. All right, well, next up, ironically, we, I think, have Mr. Intangibles, Mac Jones. All right, and he is Mr. Intangibles. You're absolutely correct. Um, and he, you know, there's talk. This is interesting. There's talk that uh, he will go possibly in the second spot possibly in the third spot. Uh, we'll find out. You know, we'll see. Uh, just bear with me as I... Hey, hey, Bill, speaking of that, you know, <laughs> Joe Douglas seems to have uh, basically announced to anybody but the New York media, he's close, holding his uh, cards close to his chest. I mean, could this be a situation where, kind of like with the Baker Mayfield draft, from a media perspective, we get a little bit of surprise at two and it's not who everybody's penciled in as Zach Wilson? Sure, Absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. Who cares who they penciled in? Right. You know, that's not what's going on in draft in draft rooms. <laughs> no one's losing sleep over what somebody in the media picked for them. <laughs> I once got a guy, I have to share this with you. I know we're up against the hard out, but it's a funny story. I got a, re a call from a reporter the night before the draft, when I'm in there just finishing things up and doing, I, I usually spent two or so hours after the meetings finished 
to do my own notes, especially my own preparation for the following day. So I had various and sundry um, uh, notes on three by five cards for various trades and <clears throat> excuse me, things like that. So I get a call on, on my private number about eight o'clock. Pardon me, I got a little frog in my throat. We all have tons of seasonal allergies on this show. And the uh, and the caller said, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Um, so-and-so has you picking this player. What do you think about that? I said, I don't. <laughs> what do I care? Why would I care who he has his picking? He doesn't work for us. Right. I don't know if he watches any film. Why would I care? Well, it's... So says the caller. It's very important. You know, it's, it's about your club's public image. And if you don't pick the person they have you picking, there'll be questions. I said, the only questions will be when he steps on the field, can he play? I'm not interested in any of that stuff. He said, well, you're a little different, aren't you? I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, ne I never worked for anyone that cared. <laughs> so... Oh. I was never raised in the business by anyone that cared. So, but but it, there are people who actually think that it counts as to as to what people, as you said, what people have penciled in. Yeah, right. Complete nonsense. Um, it will be a fun day in the New York papers if the Jets take Matt Jones at number two. Oh goodness! Yeah, you you it, you you know, and it, it you you are a little different in that you wound up in Canton. And who, the guy who's holding that pencil, nobody remembers who he is. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, anyway, Mac Jones is uh, 6'3", 217. Uh, I'm looking on his chart here, and it tells me uh, what, what, how many star recruit he was. That's really <laughs> yeah, that's they, so important. <laughs> they'll, and they'll have that by which service he was doing. Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. Um, the the uh, he is a guy who's a one year starter, obviously sat behind Tua, who is quite a talent. Uh, he is Mister Intangible, super smart, super dedicated, tremendously hard work worker, uh, great leader, well liked by his teammates, well respected by his teammates, um, understands the offense, can operate the offense at the line of scrimmage understands secondary, understands coverage. Uh, he was described to me by someone that I trust uh, as uh, Frank Reich-like in the way he, he views the game and manages the game. That's very high praise. Uh, Frank Reich was as good a backup quarterback as there ever was in the National Football League. And, um, and his arm is average to good. It's really good in, in short and intermediate. His accuracy is terrific, short and intermediate. Um, he gets a little, it gets a little dicey on the longer throws, um, but he gets the ball there and he's accurate with the ball down the field. He doesn't drive it quite as much as you want, ideally, but we've talked any number of times on this show. Everybody wants Danny Marino. But the big thing for a quarterback is processing and accuracy. If you can do that, you can win in the National Football League. He is, I think, pretty active in the pocket. He can he can find way he can find uh, throwing lanes. 
He's not a runner. He's not a guy who looks to run. He's not even a guy who looks to extend necessarily. And there's nothing wrong with that. All you need to know is where he's going to be. And you set the protection accordingly. So it, all the offensive line coach wants to know is, where is he going to be? Is he going to drift? Is he going to extend? If I know where he is, then I can set the protection. And many offensive linemen and line coaches would rather have a stationary quarterback than a drifting quarterback because it's harder to protect right. the drifting guy. Sure. Now, if it's Patrick who can drift and then throw the ball sidearm 70 yards, that's great. No, different. no, no, yeah. <laughs> it's a different deal. Also, when you can drift backwards. Yeah, the backwards is good if you're Patrick. Yeah. Not if you're Johnny Manziel or other human beings. So uh, this guy is everything you want in a quarterback except a really good arm. So if he's going to fail, why is he going to fail? Because he can't make all the throws. He can do everything else. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see him taken second. Not, not a bit. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see him taken third. I also wouldn't be a bit, of surpri a bit surprised to see him fall down to, you know, seventh or somewhere in that vicinity. It wouldn't surprise me one iota. Uh, because there are people who will say, well, he's not, he's not active enough. But, you know, in the end, and please don't take this as a comparison, but in the end, when you looked at Peyton, by the time everyone had beaten him up to a pulp by the time he got to the draft, people said, high character, smart, knows the game, knows, you know, can, can manipulate the game, can do everything you want cerebrally, but not good enough physically. And then they came out with all the canards, product of the system. What did that mean? I have no idea what that meant. But for, forget the canards. They were saying the same things about Peyton that they were saying about this young man. Now, Peyton had played four years and had a lot of skins on the wall, except he hadn't beaten Florida, so therefore he couldn't win the big one. And that didn't change until we won the Super Bowl, but that's all nonsense anyway. This kid has won the big one, is my point. And um, in the end, what people said was about Peyton, you know what? We can live with the average with the with the with the good arm his arm wasn't superior it was good but you know what we love the accuracy the processing the intelligence the work ethic the leadership all of those things are off the charts this kid has many of the same qualities and so if i were sitting in a draft room looking for a quarterback and it wasn't going to be the young man from Clemson, it would be hard to pass this kid. It would be hard to pass him because in the end, it's not about arm strength. It's about all the other things. And, and we lose that totally in the draft process. I'm not saying in the end I'd pick him because, as I, as I say, I don't have enough information to really make an informed decision. But would I be surprised if he was picked second? Not a bit. Not a bit. Do you think Do you think the 49ers would be surprised if he's picked second? Well, who knows? I mean, I don't know. They, they, they may, 
his his lack of movement does not make him ideal for the 49ers. The 49ers would rather have their guy on the move. They'd rather have him extend, you know, in a perfect world. Now, it's not a perfect world, but, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised where he was picked. Hey, Bill, real quick, in terms of his movement skills, are his movement skills, would you put them on par with the – because, I mean, I in watching him and watching tons of the football team, he reminded me a little bit of Kirk. Well, he doesn't have the interception gene that Kirk has. No, no, uh, but just – has, but uh, – um, But just in some of the – some of the appro- Yeah, yes, yeah. I think that's and, a pretty good comparison. And Kirk had enough movement to play in the Shanahan offense, so you wonder. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he did. He did. You're right. But don't forget, they drafted him fourth. Yes. Because the guy they took had superior movement. He had different world movement skills. Yes, he did. He sure did. We forget, you know, RG3 was a scintillating prospect coming out. Scintillating. Um, One of the greatest nights of my life was the game against Minnesota when he broke that 70-yard run. (laughs) Before we dive into the next prospect, I wanted to take a break and a timeout to talk a little bit about something that I have been evaluating equally hard for the last few months, and that's sunglasses. As we head into the spring and summer season, you want to have the best possible shades. And for me, there is no better option than Kanan. Kanan is truly for the outsider. If you do anything outside, whether it's boating, golfing, fishing, you're going to hit the lake, you're going to go for runs, you're going to be outside this spring and summer, they're truly truly is no better pair of shades than Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses. So this isn't like other sunglass manufacturers where there's some weird bait and switch with polarized lenses. All of their glasses are made with polarized lenses. They're made with Japanese optics. They're clearer, they're lighter, they're stronger, and they're Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. I have used them on the golf course. I have used them on runs. I have put these things through their paces, and they are literally scratch-proof. So what are you waiting for? Use the exclusive code CANANCAST15. That's CANANCAST15 at Canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's Canon Cast 15. K A E N O N C A S T 15. Truly, I cannot recommend these enough. These are the best sunglasses I have ever used. You will not be disappointed if you're hitting the outside this spring, this summer. Be sure to check them out. Okay. Uh, yeah. Who's next, Rick? Uh, we're going up to Mr. Trask, Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask, all right. Kyle is a big, hard-throwing, big-armed, big-bodied, kind of uh, heavy-footed, down-the-field quarterback. I see people uh, comparing him to Ben Roethlisberger. I do not see that quality because I thought that Ben really had and, and, and did up until a few years ago have a lot of ability to do things on the move. Kyle does not. He is accurate. Um, his arm is strong enough. It's not superior, but it's strong enough. He can make all the throws. I think he processes really well. Um, he's been a guy who worked his way up, just like Jones did. Uh, and uh, I, I, I like his poise in the pocket. Um, I like his... I like his ability to uh, be able to move, understand secondaries and move the ball around. Now, he had two great receivers, too. 
And that, that certainly helps because that's the guy you look to when you're in trouble. And then when he didn't have them in the bowl game, it was a disaster. But I don't want to hold that against him because when you're playing with new guys that you haven't played with all year, that's a completely different story. What the bowl game told me that this was a guy who had to have the right pieces around him and had to be protected. If if he was, he could win. But he, he's not, in my mind, he's not a blue, he's a red. Because you have to have people around him. He can he can he can win if you have people around him, but not on his own ability. I think Mac Jones uh is probably a red plus, maybe inching toward blue. Because while he can't win with his feet, he can win with his head and, and his preparation. Now, that's the difference between the two. So uh, no question he'll be drafted. No question he's a good prospect. Um, don't know if he'll ever be a, a top starter. And, and there is a big difference of opinion on this. I have a really good friend who knows quarterbacks inside out who loves this kid and thinks he's going to be great. So... That's why he's probably in the the 15 or so, maybe even all the way down to 32 range. He could go anywhere in there because there's a wide um, disparity on what people think he's going to be. Hey, hey, Bill, one quick thing just as we went through the color system. So with, with Trey Lance, Trey Lance is a red, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to take level of comp into consideration. you got to take experience into consideration. I'd say he's a low red. Yeah. 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 Cause I'd be, I'd be afraid. To, I mean, that's, what's interesting is in the media industrial draft complex, you know, Trey Lance buzz, 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 but just kind of looking at the football part of it, prospect wise, Kyle Trask is a safer prospect, right? Well, when you say ceiling, I'm not being facetious now. I know what you're talking about when you compare these two. Kyle Trask is pretty much what you see is what you get, right? He's going to get better on the margins. And if you protect him, he can win. And he can deliver the ball and do all the things you want a quarterback to do. Trey Lance has a lot of growing to do. And if he grows the way Josh Allen grew, he has a chance to be pretty special. But underline italics and in capitals and in red, if. Mm-hmm. He's a scary, you got to have a lot of guts to, to make that pick. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And I, by the way, I don't fault Ryan Pace for doing what he did with Mitchell Trubisky because, you know, no guts, no glory. If you right. never take a chance, mm-hmm. you're going to find yourself mired in the middle anyway. Yeah. So, you know, why not take a chance? Um, because as we know, if you don't have a blue quarterback, it's really hard to go all the way or go deep in the playoffs, actually. Um, you know, one Trask, uh, factor that's kind of interesting as opposed to what the way you were describing bill where, and we know the, the, uh, the agents put, you know, guys in special training regimes and special dice to try and bulk them up. Kyle Trask was the guy who dropped 12 or 13 pounds to try and be at his peak. Uh, seems to have done it, but uh, if a guy had a weight problem when he was younger in the wrong way, does that 
ever give you pause that that's just a tendency it's going to be tough to control down the road oh sure that's part of the strength and conditioning grade that's that's part of what the strength and conditioning coach does in measuring these guys he's measuring fat content and lean weight not not what the not the weight on the scale he's measuring right. lean weight so if a player has a problem it, it'll be readily obvious not only on the scale but in terms of of how you measure lean weight versus fat fat content in the body is that is that with the calipers or are they doing it in the morning? Oh, they do it much more. More sophisticated. Yeah. No, water. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know. But it's none, nonetheless. We, we ask the questions. He gives the answers. <laughs> it's nonetheless, uh, you know, really important. And you would always ask it. Uh, we're going to talk about some offensive linemen in future shows where, you know, you'd always ask it about those guys. Is this guy going to have a weight problem? <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> Yep. Um, okay. Uh, Kellen Mond. Mr. Kellen Mond from IBM Academy in Florida. Now, Kellen meets the Parcells criteria because he has played forever. He's played a lot of football for Texas A&M. Uh, and so uh, he is... Uh, he is really uh, a, a guy that has a great body, 6'3", 217. He can run. I'm estimating his 40 time. It's somewhere in the, you know, the 4'6", the 4'7", range. He's long-legged, long-bodied, has a long release. Um, he improved greatly over his three years. So, for example, in 2018, when he was thrust into action before he was ready, his completion percentage was 56.5. 2019, it was 61.3. This past season, 63.1. Uh, 2,282 yards, 2,904 the previous year, uh, 3,100 in the 18th season. The reason for that is they did not have reliable running backs in the previous seasons. This year, they had a kid who could really tote the mail. And so Jimbo wanted much more of a running game than he had before. That's one of the reasons that they won and had a great season. Um, his YPA in 2018 was 7.3. In 19, uh, 6.9. In 2020, 7.7, .7 and uh, six, uh, 19 TDs, three interceptions, and a 103.6 passer rating, which is which is is good. Now, um, the thing I don't like about him is off-platform accuracy, if you will, extension accuracy. Um, don't like the uh, ability to squeeze the ball into tight windows. Uh, the accuracy isn't what I think it should be. I've seen a lot of this kid. Accuracy, I don't think, is what it should be. I think he's a developmental prospect. He's a guy, if you, if you can get him accurate and you can get him in a position where he knows where to go with the ball on every play and doesn't rely on his legs, 
he might develop into something, but he's not in the in the same league as some of these other guys we're talking about. And there are those that feel that he's a more natural prospect than Trask, and I can see that. But Trask is a better quarterback than him right now. So let me ask one that usually Scott likes to talk about, uh, and that's sort of this threshold the other way. Um, kind of putting some numbers together. Um, he's so experienced. I think he had like 50, over 1,500 dropbacks in his college career. Um, d- does that amount of wear and tear and you know the, the hits that are going to come with all that and so on, um, could that ever work against him in saying, what does he have left in the tank? No, absolutely not. Quarterbacks are like pitchers. They can, they can throw for a long time. We've tried this a few times, Scott. We always get the same answer, so I'm not going to stop asking the question. Hey, there you go. Peyton played four years, you know, and then he played four years at the college level and, and, and then 14 more in the NFL. So, But in that vein, and I mean, we'll get to it with Sam later, but when you've played that much college football and you still see these accuracy issues over and over, it's got to really work against him versus some of these other prospects who have accuracy issues, but we just haven't seen the sample size. So you get that hope and dream factor where with Kellen, you've seen it. I think there's some truth to that, but you know, what you're trying to do in the draft meetings is get the hope and dream out of it. Those meetings... Those meetings can be hard-edged. You try. I always tried to make them as much fun as we could make them. For one thing, you don't want to knock kids. They're, they're just they're guys who are out there trying to make a living, and and there's no reason to 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 uh, degrade them or demean them. Uh, but but the other thing is that you don't want to make a decision based on hope and dream. You want to you want to make on on hard evidence. Uh, I often said. Uh, the last I would tell the, the scouting interns when they when they came to work for us, don't ever say to me or anybody in this building, I like this guy. What you have to say is I like this guy because and then outline why you like him and and, and, and be ready to defend it when someone says, now, wait a minute, this guy's arm is, is not what we think it should be. His poise is not what we think it should be. Example fields. In a draft room, you would say, you know, someone who was on the other side of the fence would say, now, wait a minute. I don't, I don't, I don't think Fields' poise under pressure and, and processing speed is, is, is what it should be. Okay, you know, I, as the, as the judge or the head coach, would say, all right, let's put on Northwestern. Let's put on Indiana. Let's take, that, let's take out every play. We'll look at every one of them, take your notes, and then we'll decide. So you get the hope and dream out of it. That's why I say we try never to deal in ceiling and floor. I was being facetious before. I know what you mean by it, but these are not high school kids. And I spent a lot of time talking to baseball people. These are not high school kids. High school kids, you do talk about ceiling and floor. With college kids, baseball people rarely talk about that because they're almost darn near to finished product. They're like AAA players. Well, that's why I love about this show is literally every other draft show you're going to listen to, ceiling floor, ceiling floor, ceiling floor. We try to give you an inside look as to how the guys actually think and how NFL GMs actually go through the process. Well, not to not to mention that this is the greatest draft 
<laughs> since 83. So let's, we're, you know, we have a theme here. All right. The next guy played at a little school uh, in, in Indiana. You may, you may have heard of it. It's called Notre Dame. And we're talking about, of course, Mr. Ian Book. All right. Ian Book. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting guy. Um, when Joe Paterno was playing quarterback at Brown, a noted writer for the the in the in the nineteen fifties, I guess, a noted writer for the New York Times said he can't run and he can't throw. All he can do is win. <laughs> uh, Ian Book can run. That we know. Uh, many of the gurus believe that he can't throw a lick. Uh, but we do know he can win. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, I, I have truth in lending, of course. And my son is on the staff, so I've been to uh, uh, practices and games and so forth, and, and I've, uh, I have uh, seen him up close and personal. Uh, he's 6 feet, 206, so the 6 feet is a red number. 206 is a red number. So gotta, you just no hope and dreams. you got to be honest about it. Uh, whether you love him or you don't love him. Uh, his biggest strength is that he is a winner. He's a gamer. He finds a way. And he inspires his teammates. This is a guy they trust. Uh, all you got to do is go back and watch the LSU game in the pouring rain in the uh, Citrus Bowl uh, th three years ago. And uh, and watch him and the receiver from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers team up on virtually the last series of the game to pull the game out against that same LSU team that won the national championship the following year with the same guys on defense. Joe oh, Burrow yeah. wasn't the quarterback, but Darius Geis was the running back, and all those all those guys that were knocking people on their fannies were on defense. So this guy finds a way to win. He really does. And, uh, and he can do it with his feet. Um, he's got an innate feel for running. He's got an innate feel for handling some pocket pressure. His biggest issue is that he has, they don't play an air raid offense. But he has many of the same tendencies as air raid passers. He has to see the guy open before he delivers the ball. It's not processing. He knows who's supposed to be open. But he wants the guy to be open before he throws the ball. And you can't do that in the NFL. So most people say, you know, this is a, a guy that, you know, we love everything about him. But you can't win doing that in the National Football League. Um, his passer ratings over the years, this year, by the way, was a poor year for Notre Dame for receivers. They were much more of a running team than they were uh, the year before, but uh, the two years before. But his passer rating as a, as a sophomore was one, well, he's a graduate, but uh, three years ago, 104.2, two years ago, 105.3, this year, 98.5. Now, the reason they advanced into the playoffs was because they had a much better defense this year. They were really an outstanding defensive team with Owusu Koromoa as a probably a top, certainly a top 10 pick. So, uh, and his completion percentage, 
Uh, TDs 15 and 3, 34 and 6, 19 and 7. That reflects the 34 and 6 rep- represents that, that really good receiving class. And YPA 797583. So he's not a guy who's throwing it downfield necessarily. He's not a guy whose timing is the kind of timing that you think an NFL quarterback should have. All the rest of it is stellar. So look for him in round four. In fact, he might be coveted in round four, where people will say, look at this guy, he's pretty special. He's not Joe Montana, but believe it or not, he has a better record than Joe Montana at Notre Dame. Um, So people are going to say, I'll take a chance here. This guy's worth taking a chance on. Hey, Bill, to that end, if you and I'm not saying this about Ian Book, but if you think of a prospect maybe as a backup quarterback, do the minimum requirement numbers change at all for you? Um, not really, but let's take um, Jones as an example. Jones' deficiency is movement and arm strength, right? So you say to yourself, he might not be good enough when it's all said and done to play 16. Wilson, because of his body type, Ian, because of his body type, might not be good. In fact, probably won't be good enough to play 16. They won't, they won't maybe not stand up to the beating. 17, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a bonus. Yes. Um, so you would then say, does this guy have a chance to be a really good backup quarterback? Well, as a backup quarterback, all the intangibles better be stellar because you don't get many reps, including the intelligence, because you don't get many reps, number one. And number two, you have to be cool enough under fire to come in there and say, okay, you know, here we go. I'm playing. Come on, guys, right. let's go. And you and you have to perform. So the intangibles you look at that guy who's 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 low red maybe from a physical standpoint and if the intangibles are blue you say to yourself okay let's think about him mm-hmm. as a backup quarterback yeah uh, now um cuz you answered you anticipated my question completely in terms of what what you'd be looking for in a backup and the qualities you have to stress how how rare is that though Knowing, uh, you know what, what uh, certainly a, a relatively high number of draft pick costs. How did did you ever actually draft a quarterback uh, during your career, thinking of him as a backup quarterback coming in? Uh, yeah, yeah, we drafted guys down. Jim Sorgi comes to mind yeah, right okay. off the bat, and he was good. He was a good backup quarterback. Right. Yep. Um, but when like Frank was drafted. No, we saw Frank as a starter. He was a starter, right. Yeah, exactly. and he would have yeah. been a starter with a lot of other teams. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He just then had that overabundance of the other qualities anyway. Yeah. This And and, ne- and near starter talent. Yeah, yeah. No, he, Frank had starter talent without question. Well, and I think the one thing people aren't talking a ton about from a fan perspective, with that 17th game, we could be entering a phase in the league where your backup quarterback is going to be vitally important. Oh, well, we can do a whole show on the 17th game. 
and what that's gonna what that's gonna entail. And if in terms of practice, in terms of roster size, in terms of injuries, in terms of of whether or not you sit guys out, you know, all of that kind of stuff is you know exactly. And and luckily for us, you have a guy who eighteen times in his career went seventeen games or more. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> right. been there, done that. Right. <laughs> but but you're right. All of a sudden, you start hearing about load management in the NFL here. Right? Yeah. You know. So, yeah. um, all right, we've got a few guys left, uh, and let's go to Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks is very simple. Big arm, uh, not a lot of accuracy, good athletic ability, uh, marginal prospect. Marginal prospect. Um, another baseball player, actually drafted by the Red Sox. Uh, what about moving position? Could he be a tight end? Uh, don't know. I honestly don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to work him out. He's on, on on. From a fan perspective, there's a Logan Thomas vibe there a little bit. Well, don't forget that Logan Thomas was a tight end before he became a quarterback. True. He was. He was a decent tight end before he became a quarterback, and he was not. He was. Probably not really as good as uh, as Felipe Franks in terms of a thrower. Felipe Franks has a good arm. I mean, he really has a good arm. That's his greatest strength. The rest of it is, you know, is not necessarily what you want. All right. All right. So we, let's uh, let's head out west uh, to Stanford. Davis Mills. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, Davis Mills is another player who certainly does not meet. The uh, Parcells criteria, excuse me. He's a third of the way to the Parcells criteria. <laughs> We've got a few more games we got to get in. He's got to bring two friends along. Yeah, <laughs> I think if he could, if he could buddy up, we're going to be good. <laughs> um, he is a guy who is who, who's who's caught people's eyes because. His workouts are good, and when he played, and he played less than a full year this year at Stanford, correct? Uh, yeah. He only got yeah. in yeah, sort of halfway through the season. Uh, he showed certainly poise, moxie, if you will, arm strength, competitiveness, nice delivery. So we're talking about a guy who is a um, a good, solid prospect question is where do you take him yeah yeah i mean he also you know with i know the trend is away from uh the you know the traditional quarterback but he seems also like he he was the prototypical not not in terms of size and everything but prototypical true pocket passer and he from what i've seen he looked at really pretty accurate at every depth yeah he was he was and 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 by the way there's no reason uh, not to uh, not not to be uh, enamored of the traditional pocket passer. He hasn't he hasn't gone the way of uh, you know of the of, of the dodo bird uh, dinosaur. Yeah, dodo bird. Yes, that's correct. I mean, he hasn't. So there's no reason not to not to like him. You can I'd prefer to play with that guy rather than you know run the risk of of, of a lesser guy getting hurt, uh, you know, that, that, that part of it, it doesn't trouble me at all. 
and he, you know, he meets all the criteria relative to strength and size and accuracy and all of that. Now, I'd want to know. I haven't talked to David about it, David Shaw about it, but I, I, I want to know why he didn't play, <laughs> you know, number one. And, well, and, and Stanford, he might actually have been studying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's smart. That, that, yeah. that, 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 that much is without question. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, poo-poo him at all. Question would be, where do you take him? And, and if somebody likes him, if they like him and they want to work with him, the fourth round is the ideal place for him. Uh, because the odds of getting another player, particularly if you're down in the round from the middle of the round down, the odds of getting another, another player that can do wonderful things for you are not strong. And, and you, might, you, you, know, you might want this guy and say, hey, um, let's go. Good. All right. Well, we round out the show. Here we go. With an, another guy we're interested to hear what Bill has to say, Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger. Sam is a guy with a great body. Let me pull up his information here, if you don't mind. Passes the Parcells test. He, does, he certainly passes the Parcells test. Yes, he does. He's played a long time. Come on, Sam. Here we go. Here you are. He's 6'3", 225, uh, has played three years. His passer rating, interestingly enough, is pretty good. It's been over 100 each of the years. He is a much better passer, but similar in style. I, I shouldn't say personality because I don't know that. A similar in style to Tim Tebow, but a much better passer. Now, is he ultimately a good enough passer? I don't think so. He has made his living with his legs. He's tough. He's competitive. He'll run over you. He'll run through you. He's smart. He's a leader. Uh, 1,700 career uh, dropbacks. But he, he, you know, he has difficulty even in a clean pocket. His arm's not great. There's not all that zip on, even on the intermediate throws. Um, he makes his living with his legs. And, uh, you know, he, he, that's about it. If you can develop him into a, a reliable passer and you want someone who's a change of pace guy who can beat you with his legs, then he's your guy. Again, where do you take him? And he's got to be, he's got to be a system fit. He's got to be a system fit. Would he be a good backup in Baltimore? You bet. You bet he would. And because he's bigger and stronger than Chase McSorley, uh, probably not. Gonna, he's taken a lot of hits over the years. Uh, he's one that that puts the lie to what I just said before, Scott. <laughs> yeah, no, Trey, Trey. You worry about some of the punches he's taken throughout his career because he's taken a lot of them but uh he would be he'd be uh, you know sk sk skill set wise and size and all of that he, he'd be perfect back up in Baltimore but you got to be able to say this is what we know we're getting here let's not make him into you know into Jones he's not yeah right but but Scott got to feel good that the Schaefer threshold was finally met <laughs> 
finally meet, and we got a Trace McSorley call out on the show, so that's always good. Hey, real quick, Bill, not to, because you know, we have tons of fans in Chicago, but not to get them more agitated about what's going on at quarterback. With Tom Herman there, would he be a decent development guy in Chicago? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think it's hard to sell a developmental guy in Chicago who's not traditional. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Tom loves him. I know he does, but uh, it'd be hard to sell a developmental guy. I think that's one where the general manager says, "You know what? We're better not. Uh, we're better off not going down this road. We, we, let's let's take a chance on Mills, perhaps, if we're going to take a chance on someone rather than yeah. someone like this." We don't want them closing Michigan Avenue for other reasons. That's correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> on to McCormick Place we go. All right. <laughs> the pitchforks are out. <laughs> all right, gang. Well, uh, anything else for the good of the order? I feel like we ran through all the quarterbacks. I think we've got a fairly well-established sense of how this draft is going to look. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Look, I'm at your service, but I think we've, I think we've pretty much covered the waterfront. Yeah, I, I, I think we've given uh, our listeners the reality check they deserve. Uh, I think we've done a you know a good job of exploring each guy, but if you if you guys were going to be doing more draft shows and other positions, but if you have questions and follow up to this, shoot them to well, us. And hey, we hope we exceeded the floor and we raised above the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor for today, Bet Online. If you have questions, hit us up at IF Bill Polian, and we will be sure to cover it. On to the next position groups. I'm pumped. Let's do it. See you guys next week. Right on. gang well there you have it we hope you truly enjoyed bill's very interesting breakdown of the quarterback draft crop in 2021 but one thing you don't want is a messy crop below the waist and that's why we partnered with our sponsor manscaped for all your below the waist group as i'm sure you've heard us say before we have an exclusive 20 percent offer at manscaped when you use the code polling that's 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com and use the code POLIAN, P-O-L-I-A-N. I cannot recommend their products enough. The Lawnmower 3.0 is a great way to dip your toe into the water into all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. So what are you waiting for? Head over to manscaped.com today and use the code POLIAN for 20% off and free As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.